This is the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. Here he is, elbow deep in the dirt. It's Bob Olin. Good morning, Bob. Hey, good morning, Dave. It's a lovely morning, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we're getting plenty of lovely days, but we're a little short on the precipitation here this spring or summer. Oh, we really are, and uh, we really need that out in the fields. And uh, I know everyone, uh, in town or out of town, uh, water isn't always available. It can be very expensive. And, uh, you know, it's, isn't it amazing how we came off uh, record snowfalls? And you might guess we, I guess they term this a reversion mean we come back to the averages. Mm-hmm. So we had all that moisture. Fortunately, so much of that did work its way into the ground. That's been helpful, certainly, for trees and shrubs. Yeah and other uh, plant material. But now we come to this uh, long, prolonged dry period. But maybe after Grandma's Marathon, we've got uh, some significant chance of showers in the forecast. Is that correct, Dave? Yeah, Saturday, maybe some showers. I guess 40%. That's probably more significant than it has been. So, Yeah, it's been very dry, so uh, very unusually dry. We can talk just a little bit about that because, yeah. uh, you know, people are going to have to one way or another try to deal with this. Uh, you know, the first thing you're going to do, uh, you know, we're going to conserve moisture, water at least. Yeah. We're going to be watering, got to supply it from someplace. So uh, a couple of thoughts for people. I think the first thing you want to do is you want to prioritize uh, what your water use is. And it doesn't make any difference. Uh, when we get real dry, I know shallow wells have trouble. And I know uh, that the uh, water bills in town get very, very expensive if people overwater. So we're going to be kind of careful and conservative about how we water. So first thing we're going to do is we're going to, prioritize those plants that definitely need a drink at this point and i would start with maybe any uh real shallow planted small seed this can be in the vegetable garden so you strung out your carrots or beets they're all in uh three-eighths of an inch quarter of an inch in some cases lettuce is an example some cases quarter of an inch uh that upper quarter inch half inch inch of soil can get very dry very very quickly so even if you water them in uh, you're going to have to uh, come back daily after seeding and supply a water source, perhaps use some type of a very fine mulch on the surface. This could be a little bit of sawdust that retains the, the moisture. It could be a little bit of compost. Uh, again, we don't want a real heavy layer, but we want some organics there. Uh, it certainly could be some peat moss. You can buy that by the bale. Uh, people sometimes have a little trouble with that absorbing moisture. If that's ever the case, you can pre-soak a little bit of that in a warm water solution, and uh, that that uh, will enable the peat moss to immediately pick up uh, a lot of the moisture, and then it can be spread and used as a, uh, a mulch on the soil surface. So we're going to be very, very conscious of any seeded material that's in very shallow. This could be included in your uh, your grass seeding, so you had some open bare spots or you're establishing a new, new lawn, Dave, uh, that seed goes in, you know, just below the surface, quarter inch or so. We pack it in, we roll it in, we drag it in. we got to get it down in the soil. But then, uh, particularly on lighter uh, sandier soils, that dries down very quickly. So oftentimes what can happen, people will come in and they'll water initially. And then there's just enough moisture for the seed to thermal uses to crack or to germinate. And then there's a very, very tender small seedling and if that upper quarter inch of the soil gets very, very hot and dry, that small seedling uh, dies off. I've had this experience more than once. And uh, so you're going to have to either seed and let that seed lie in the soil. Don't apply any water at all until uh, we get a rainfall event. We get some rain, and oftentimes that's enough to 
and significant enough to uh, germinate the seed and provide additional moisture that it needs. So either you're going to have to let it sit there and wait for the rain, no water on top, or if you elect the water, once you start that watering process again on shallow rooted seed, uh, you're going to have to uh, come back on a daily basis. And uh, I've learned the hard way that that hot and dry, warm conditions with a lot of wind, uh, you can't go two days. You have to go daily, and then you have to uh, water in that seedbed, whether it's the garden, whether it's on the lawn, uh, whether you're establishing perennials from seed, any place with shallow rooted seed. Deep, deeply planted seed, you take a look at your corn seed going down maybe an inch and a half to two inches. Same thing with peas and beans. Uh, they go in a little deeper. And uh, you're still not away uh, home free. You don't have to water daily, but you're going to water very thoroughly uh, to carry that water moisture down after you've planted for about an inch or so. Or you can just let them wait. Problem is, Dave, is we get later and later in the season. Yeah. We can't let seed uh, wait too long or we run out of season. Uh, we don't know how long we're, we're going to be waiting for the next significant rainfall. So on a deeply planted seed, um, corn beans, we'll use those as an example. They're going in an inch and a half, two inches deep. Uh, then you're going to water very, very thoroughly, let it soak down in, let that uh, let there be enough water there so the seed can germinate and there's enough follow-on moisture so that that uh, emerging seedling uh, can do quite well. Then we're going to, with those deep seeds, maybe every third or fourth day you want to water in very, very thoroughly again, Dave. Now, the grass seed, I know you want to water daily, but how long do you keep this up? I mean, how tall does the grass have to be before it can back <laughs> off? That's a real good question. You know, actually, our common Kentucky bluegrass, mm-hmm. which is the perennial grass that we'd really like to get established, I'm always amazed at uh, how people want to plant a Bermuda grass or they want to plant uh, a zoysia or something they've seen advertised. Really, the whole world wants common Kentucky blue. We can grow that very, very well. We've got major seed production areas in the Roseau area. Uh, this is the uh, the seed and the, the species that we want in our lawns. It's going to be perennial once it gets established. The downside is... You're going to have to water for a minimum of two weeks on a daily basis or perhaps as long as three weeks. That's different than rye. And don't be fooled. You go out and you buy yourself a uh, maybe a sunny grass mix and there's a perennial rye in there. There may be some annual rye. And then there's our common Kentucky blue, which is what we want to get established. The annual and perennial rye jumps very quickly. It gets lush and green within a couple of days if the water is available to it. And then we assume we've got a lawn established. This is not the case. If you've got a significant percentage of uh, either the elite uh, bluegrasses or the common bluegrasses, you're going to have to uh, water for, I tell people, uh, 20 days or 21 days just to be sure that it gets established. Otherwise, you wasted all your time, all your effort, and bluegrass seed is not inexpensive. Yeah. Expensive to buy. Uh, the quality seeds are expensive. But then once you get it established, it's going to last a lifetime for you if properly established. Dave. But plenty of water for the first uh, two to three weeks, two weeks at a minimum. All right. Unrelated question, why is it called bluegrass when it looks green to me? <laughs> That's a good question. You really want it to be green. Uh, I think it's because it has a little little bit deeper green uh, oh, okay. to it than, than some of the other uh uh, other uh, annual rye grasses as, as an example. All right. Thank you, Bob. We'll get back to you in just a minute. The Bob Olin Show continues. We'll take a break now at 924. And we're back. More of the Bob Olin Show this morning. Uh, Bob, this is National Weed Your Garden Day, so you know what you got to be doing today. Yeah, I guess everyone. That's the thing. As soon as you apply <laughs> some water, don't be deceived. Uh, deceived. That garden... 
where it's dry on the surface, they say, well, it's weed-free this year, and I've got areas that are supposedly weed-free, but hidden in there is all this potential weed seed. We get a little water on it, they jump real quickly. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to pay just a little bit of attention. Dave, for a moment, if we can go back to the lawn, we were yep. talking about um, uh, you know shallow seeding that may occur. We want bluegrass. One of the real nice advantages of bluegrass, and, and I'm seeing a lot of lawns browning off. It's amazing. We went from this real lush lawns everywhere to a lot of brown lawns at various points. Bluegrass will go dormant. You won't lose it unless we have a real severe drought. Now, that can happen, but that's rare, and we're certainly not at that point yet at this point. So if you like not to water a bluegrass lawn, unlike an annual ryegrass or a ryegrass lawn, that can actually be killed. But a bluegrass will go dormant. It's one of the natural defense mechanisms. It's got a nice reservoir of underground stems called rhizomes, so it's considered a rhizominous grass. Those underground stems hold a lot of sugars. They hold moisture, so the plant naturally will brown off on you. And then uh, as soon as the rain returns or you elect to, to start watering, uh, then it will come back and it will revive. So that's one, another good reason why we really like these uh, common Kentucky bluegrasses because uh, they can certainly tolerate this. But, you know, back again, uh, we don't want to uh, put our gardening efforts on hold right now. There are many things. You know, we talked about the shallow-rated seed. We're not concerned at this point, certainly about trees and shrubs for the most part, except for newly planted material. But the older material, once again, we had this real nice slow snow melt. We got good moisture levels down two, three, four, five inches where your trees, shrubs, root systems are going to be. So I really wouldn't be wasting any water on trees and shrubs at this point. Now, it does get to the point where shallow-rated material if it really gets severe, and hopefully we'll break here. Oftentimes this can change. Um, we've had situations where typically June is the most moist month for us, and things dry down in July. Well, I've seen this flip-flop. It was only two years ago where it was very dry in June, and then July we got uh, all of the weather that we should have, all the rain we should have gotten in June. So let's not panic about trees and shrubs. Let's be very conscious of shallow-rooted material, be conscious of the vegetable garden, and then let's not... Um, defer our efforts let's get out there and garden remember this is the peak time of year we've got all kinds of sunlight we've got uh, really pretty nice temperatures here we don't have the extremes now you mentioned uh, mid 70s i believe you said for today and highs maybe and of course that's all relative to the lake but right. maybe 70 mid 70s or, or low 80s inland and then 60s 70s along the lake these are not really intensely hot temperatures which is a good thing because that would only accelerate uh, this drying uh, phase that we got going right now. So, plenty of light. If you've got the moisture, be a little careful about your watering, but I would not in any way put my gardening efforts off. Let's capture this portion because if we wait, just put seed in the ground, don't apply any water, it may not germinate to mid July, then we run out of season to get yourself a crop. So, get your tomatoes, get them in the ground, uh, water very, very thoroughly. Uh, particularly on transplants like tomatoes. I'm using that just as an example. It's watered very, very thoroughly. Then there are any number of other things, if I can spend a little bit of time on that. I love organic materials. We've got a sponsor uh, in the Western Lake Superior Sanitary District that's got a great compost product. The nice thing about incorporating this into the soil when we consider it a soil amendment is it will retain the moisture. So instead of just bleeding right down through the root zone when you water, if you've got a good fraction of organic material in there, the organic holds it, and then they can hold it uh, 
for uh, days, and then the roots from your plants can actually pull it off at organic fraction when, when needed. So organics down in the soil are really critical. Organics can also be used as mulches on the soil surface, and this will also reduce the amount of uh, moisture that actually evaporates from the surface. You want to be very careful in low moisture periods like this. So let's not do a lot of overtilling. If you're going to uh, be weeding, let's weed very shallow when those annual weeds are very, very small. So you just bump them along the soil surface. You don't get down there an inch or two and stir the soil up. The more you stir the soil, the more moisture we're going to lose to evaporation. So very, uh, very shallow watering is what, or very shallow weeding is what you want. Just lightly scratch the surface when those uh, seedlings are just beginning to emerge and they're in what we call the certainly the white root stage. So conserving what we got in the ground, we're going to water, we're going to water in the morning, and we're going to try to minimize the amount of moisture that evaporates. If you water in the morning on a cool, even on an overcast day, now we're going to get some overcast days here without any rain. Those plants are still pulling a lot of moisture. We still have evaporation that's occurring. So We'd really like to water in the morning where we minimize the amount of evaporation. The other thing, uh, many people have got spray nozzles. Uh, use a coarse water spray. If you're using a real fine mist, again, so much of that evaporates when the, the larger droplets are actually going to carry down to the soil, which is where you want it. So a coarser overhead spray in the morning to minimize the amount of evaporation, I think that's absolutely critical. And then uh, let's remember again, uh, if you're going to be applying a little fertilizer with water, these plants need uh, fertility that needs to be watered in. If you, whether it be on your grass or whether it be in your vegetable garden, any of these nitrogen-based fertilizers are basically ureas, and uh, they will denitrify. They came from the air originally, and they're going to go back to the air. So unless they get carried in, unless they're incorporated, dragged into the soil, or unless they're actually watered in. So if you're going to put any, any fertilizer on, uh, stir it into the uh, upper portion of the soil and then make sure you get it watered and carried in so you don't lose that. Or you can use your choice on small plants, things like your transplants, your tomatoes, your cabbage, your broccoli. Uh, you can use water-soluble fertilizers or you're using a, a maybe a tablespoon per gallon and then you're watering this in. To get maximum use out of that, you want to really have the soil moist first so you don't get any runoff. And so you minimize the amount that evaporates, get your soil, water first, and then come over the top with your fertilizer uh, solution. So we're not going to avoid uh, good gardening practices uh, just because it's hot and dry. We're going to uh, get some water out there. We're going to use it very efficiently. And uh, we're going to encourage plants to grow at this particular time because we are coming up to the first day of summer, longest days of the year, and it is light that really drives plant growth. So the upside of this, lots of sun, Dave. Uh, plants are growing very well, provided you've got the water. So get some water to them. Get it there early in the morning. Coarse sprays minimize uh, the amount that evaporates. Consider any one of these minimal uh, application uh, methods, like trickle irrigation, or you can get what's called an ooze tube, or you can get what's called a perforated uh, garden tube, tube or hose. Remember, again, if you've got perforated hose, I've seen people that have got those perforations up, this uh, lay-flat hose that sits on the surface of your garden, and the perforations are just on one side. Remember, those holes have to go down. You don't want to be kicking up a water spray onto the plants, and again, just encouraging 
all this evaporation, you're losing water. So if you're going to use something like that, make sure those holes are down. Um, you might even, if you're going to use what we call an ooze tube, where you've got water that just infiltrates out from a permeable tube, sometimes it doesn't hurt to cover that with the grass clippings or other mulch, just so, again, you get all that water uh, down into the soil and none of it up into the air. So just a few tips for folks. Uh, we're not being concerned. We've got good weather, good right. temperatures. We're short on moisture, but we're going to do the best we can, and we're going to take advantage of the situation uh as it as it evolves here, Dave. Like you said, water in the morning to uh, avoid evaporation. Wouldn't it be better to water in the evening just before sunset then? It would. The, the difficulty, you notice with our temperatures, we're getting 70 during mm-hmm. the days. We're getting 40s still uh-huh. at night. The problem with coming in the evening is the, the plants, you're always going to have some moisture that's going to be on the plants, going right. to sit on the plants under cool conditions. And that's very conducive to fungal disease. Ah. So if we water in the morning instead, uh, we get the water in, we minimize the amount of evaporation, but the leaf surface also dries down. And uh, so many of these fungal spores, they need 24 hours of moisture uh, to actually germinate. So we want that plant tissue to dry down. Water in the morning, minimize evaporation, plant tissue dries down, that minimizes all of the disease pressure that you're going to have. That's right. the reason we like it in the morning. We do not Don't like fungus that. among us, that's for sure. We don't like All right. fungus among us. No, we do not. It is 9.37. We'll take another break. Bob, right back. More of the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. And we're back with more of the Bob Olin Show. we got a nice day on the way. Mostly sunny skies. Low 80s officially today. Could be a little cooler by the lake right now. 66 over the hill. 61 in the downtown and uh, lakeshore areas. I can imagine we're getting into the low 80s there, that there'll be people heading downtown, getting close to that lake. <laughs> it certainly is the air-conditioned city, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, it depends, too, on the wind direction, obviously, but usually during the late afternoon, even yesterday it was about 75 in my house early in the afternoon, but by 4 o'clock it was down in the 50s. Yeah, it cooled down for you. So I think mm-hmm. you are so right. Wind direction's got an awful lot to do with it this, this time of year. But mid-80s, again, um, this yep. is actually pretty good uh, Pretty good plant growing temperatures. Uh, water, again, as we've been talking about, as, is the limiting factor. So we're not going to limit ourselves there. We're going to use it. We're going to use it carefully. Uh, but we're not going to let those plants get stressed. Incidentally, uh, I will see people that will plant, say, to, we'll use tomatoes as an example. And they always wilt off. You bought a few tomatoes from your local greenhouse plants, uh, before you stick them in the ground, they come in a typically in a cell, what we call a cell pack, right. and uh, there's going to be some uh, organic soil there. Uh, don't just take them and put them in the ground. Soak that first so they've got a nice reservoir of water around them, and then be very careful when you plant. And uh, I put a lot of tomatoes out, but I still take the time to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, create just a little dish around that, that tomato. Uh, first, tomatoes can go in deep. So once again, if you got a long stem there, let's uh, let's not hesitate about getting that hole a little deeper. I mentioned the fact there is water down there and available. So let's get it in a little deeper. Uh, let's create a little dish around that uh, transplant, a little ridge there, so that when you water it, it will fill that bowl up, and then that water will all sneak in there, and you'll get off and, and start it in a good way. So you don't want, um, you never really want to see plants under stress. And um, that means wilting. So we always want to water before we see wilting. So 
if you have any indication that they're beginning to turn a little bit, let's try to get uh, moisture there as soon as we can. Let's conserve it with some of these uh, little bowls around. So there certainly are a lot of things we can do as gardeners with a limited amount of water and without being at all wasteful, just getting it right to the plant. Then eventually uh, they take off, they begin to grow. Again, we want to capture the light. Uh, we want a little fertility that comes along with that moisture that we're applying. And uh, this is really a great time of year. Actually, Dave, the bright sunlight we're seeing out in the landscapes, the landscapes are beautiful. Mm -hmm. I mentioned uh, last week the azaleas that were just spectacular. Uh, They're beginning to fade right now, and uh, they're beginning to drop some of their leaves. People will ask me about the azaleas, and incidentally, it's this northern light series which has really transformed the color in our landscapes. Azaleas, of course, folks that have traveled south into Georgia, they were not winter hardy here. We had a winter, a few hardy varieties, not real colorful and uh, it really was the University of Minnesota plant breeding program. Started in 1954. It took a long time for the first introduction, was 1978. And I just have to, I don't think Al Johnson gets the credit. It's a name that nobody really relates to, even in the horde industry. It was Al Johnson that did the original uh, breeding. He's no longer with us, but he did a tremendous job there and introduced uh, Northern Lights. This is the pink azalea that's out there right now good and hardy it's still i think the best out of the entire series got every color out of the sun now almost that has been introduced the follow-on breeders dr uh, pellet was a spectacular breeder brought out a lot of the colors everything from lilac lights to uh spicy lights lemon lights mandarin lights uh, the orange lights uh so he was responsible for a lot of those and then now we've got a gentleman that, by the name of stan hokinson that continues and he introduced the electric light series, which is kind of a double. These are spectacular plants. They're all winter hardy, but probably the hardiest beds was the original uh, in, from 1978 to Northern Lights Azalea. Now, uh, people ask about fertility, the woody material. They don't need a lot of additional fertility. You want to get them in an acid uh, bright light and an acid soil, so we want to be more consider- concerned about pH and soil acidity than we are concerned about fertility. But if you are going to fertilize probably two times during the year, right now at, at uh, bud, break, bud drop or flower drop, uh, we can apply a little fertility. Again, needs to be watered in. So you could skip that this year unless you've got water available to you. A little fertility watered in never after August 1st. At that point, the plants are beginning to change. We don't want to encourage any kind of a strong vegetative growth. But Little fertility now, water right now, and again they're 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 relatively shallow rooted, so you want to carry that water in. But this will encourage the green growth early in the season, like this, in June and in, into July, and it's that good lush green growth that sets the flower buds in the fall. But we don't want to encourage uh, vegetative growth, green growth in the late summer or early fall because this takes away from the hardiness of the particular plant. So fertilize now if you're going to fertilize. If you're going to fertilize, remember you got to get it watered in. The other time that these plants will be fertilized will, would be at bud break, which was a couple months ago here, or a month and a half ago in the uh, in the early spring. Yeah, pruning these, these are the azaleas again. If you're going to prune right at flower drop, you can prune them up. We're not going to hack them. They don't pop buds down those long woody stems, but you can prune on some of the newer growth if you want to contain the size. If you got plenty of room, they become spectacular. I've got them that are 30, 40 years old, and they look wow. just as good or even better than what they were when they were originally uh, planted. So they are a great, great, and again, a uh, shout-out to Al Johnson, wherever it may be, because he really did change our landscape. So just a couple thoughts. 
about um, what our landscapes look like. Right. If there's water, the uh, the grass looks great. If there isn't, it's going to brown off. It will come back, of course. Uh, bright sunlight, cooler conditions. These are really very, very good growing conditions. So let's not uh, certainly miss the season, Dave. Yeah, you mentioned uh, how the trees were flowering like crazy last week uh, where you are. And finally in Superior, the same thing happened this past week. So we've now got oh, uh, some pretty spectacular flowering trees in the Superior and by the lake area. So. Got a little oh, late start thanks to the cooler weather, but they're there now. Yeah, of course. And, you know, uh, as you say, a tremendous amount of bloom. If we look at the mm-hmm. apple crop, I'm anticipating a great apple year because, again, we had all this moisture was down in the ground. An apple doesn't have its roots up in quarter-inch below the surface. It's down there where there was lots of moisture that seeped its way in. So we saw a tremendous amount of bloom. There's a tremendous amount of fruit set. That's going to come for you a little later because your season's just a little bit delayed. But on this side of the lake, uh, there's uh, lots of fruit out there. We're going to have to drop a little bit of this. We get these clusters. You know, the fruit is formed on what we call a fruit spur. And that's a, uh, a little small woody projectile, a branch from the main uh, branch stem. It, it kicks out these flower buds. And uh, from the flower buds, you often get a cluster in a, in a good year with a lot of pollinators around. You get a cluster of fruit, and that's more fruit than what that uh, tree can really handle. So you're going to want to get in there. The tree will drop some of these very small fruit because it knows it can't handle it. But um, you also want to facilitate that, and uh, you want to drop some of that additional fruit. At a minimum, you want to get it down to one apple per every, for every one of these fruit spurs. Otherwise, you get a tremendous amount of fruit right. that can be structurally damaging the tree. The fruit can be smaller. And then because we have so much fruit this year, next year is going to be the alternate where we'll have a very limited amount of fruit. So we get this alternate year bear, bearing habit. We can smooth that out by dropping some of these very, very small apples. That should be done uh, right now, actually. They'll peel off very easily without doing any damage. So... A little extra time. That's something that I'm going to have to find a little time for because I noticed that uh, yeah, we could drop a little bit of that fruit. Better for the tree, better for the quality of the fruit, and it evens out uh, uh, the the alternate year bearing habit that these uh, yep. so many of our apple trees have. Deep. I think my uh, apple tree this year is going to take a year off. <laughs> oh, is it really? Yours Which is too? fine with me. I think it was very heavy last year and the year before, and I think this year it's catching its breath. <laughs> waiting for next time. And, and you can catch your breath because I know <laughs> you right. ate all the apple sauce you possibly could. Yeah. You a lot of them away and other things. Absolutely. So. All right, we'll take Thank another you. break, Bob, and we'll be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show, 950 now at KDAL. All right, Bob, we do have a caller on the phone. Uh, hi, who's this? Patty Go. from Port Wayne. Go ahead, Patty. Uh, okay. has, has Bob talked about the worm, army worm situation, and if anybody's seeing any, I have seen a few wow. in my my yard. A few tents yes. forming. Okay, Patty, are you seeing uh, the actual tents right now? Yeah, there were tiny babies, and I lit them on fire. Uh, okay. <laughs> Be careful in this kind of weather, they'll light them on fire. You don't want to light the whole place on fire. <laughs> yeah, you got to be a little careful. I don't want to out there. Yeah. Uh, we understand. There are ways to eliminate them, some safer than others. But uh, we have not seen, we've seen it scattered in a couple of locations. You know, we have not had this major infestation. It's like we, we might have missed a cycle here and we got real lucky because. 
you probably remember when they really get severe how how bad they can be houses covered with them roads slippery and and uh, dave you and i have been around long yeah. enough we were called some oh, of yeah. these infestations where yeah. uh, the roads were in fact slippery people think you're exaggerating but that's not the case and i go back and i yeah. still every time i drive past this house in duluth i got a call years and years ago the last infestation from an individual that asked when they might be gone and i said well it takes a while to work your way through this and she said i've been yes. terrified to leave the house i'm running out of groceries and when wow. i i made a stop there and her house was literally covered uh with these uh, forest tent caterpillars or people will, they're not technically an army worm they're they're a tent caterpillar and we've got two varieties that work out there in the spring but we've not seen them patty we've seen them in the scattered locations west of duluth ways and we're hearing uh, minor reports, but not the type of infestation that we've seen it in the past. So uh, we're very fortunate that way. I don't know what the, the next year may bring, but so far uh, we are okay that way. Hey, oh, but it's nice to hear someone, uh, not nice to hear that you've, you've right. got some of them, but it's uh, nice to know we got a lister in Port Wing where I'm sure the temperatures are very <laughs> nice with that, uh, that wind coming off the lake. Hey, thanks for the call, too, Patty. Appreciate it. We got to run, Bob. But boy, yeah, it's, uh, I guess we can deal with a few tent caterpillars. It's just that big infestation that would really uh, well, oh, yes. keep the trees without yeah, leaves and everything else. But A lot of newbies in the area that right. don't know what we're talking about. But when we get an infestation, mm-hmm. they strip all the aspen leaves, and uh, it kind of makes it uncomfortable even to walk through the woods or what's left of it. Uh, and we have not seen that. Uh, we've expected it for a number of years, but it's not come. So that's that's part of the good news. I guess we're due, but I, I don't know. Is there an actual uh, cycle that they go through? Yeah, there is, and typically it's a you know it's a ten to twelve to fifteen year cycle. Oh, okay. and we're beyond that since the last heavy right. infestation. So I'm not exactly uh, sure why this one's been very prolonged, but uh, we're not going to complain about no. it. That's that's one. <laughs> One pest we can do without. We get enough to deal with the mosquito population, don't we, Dave? (laughs) Yeah, they've been pretty sick this year, too, so far. They've had a good year. There's no doubt about that. (laughs) All right. Well, we got, uh, I guess, the Farmer's Market to talk about tomorrow and again on Saturday. That's right. Farmer's Market coming along, and our our growers, you know, most of them have got uh, trickle irrigation or one thing or another. Mm -hmm. Crops, of course, a lot of the veggie crops, uh, you can still buy transplants there, uh, Wednesdays, 2 to 5, you want a good locally grown material. A lot of our people are bringing in early spring material as well, so it's going to only get better from here. On That's 14th Avenue East and 3rd, and uh, 2 to 5 on Wednesdays, and then 8 till noon on on Saturday. We're looking forward to really a very, very good year coming along, Dave. Bob, now, was there a featured vegetable this year? I forgot what it was. Yeah, I believe it was uh, collards or it was greens. Oh, yeah, that's right, collard greens, right. Yes, and... um, just for fun, I've planted a few of those. Planted, <laughs> How they doing? A few more. Uh, well, they're, they're just barely getting out of the ground right All now. Right. This again is one of those real fine materials, and um, we'll just see how they how they grow. Very nutritious, and quite frankly, I've not grown them before, so right. uh, but this is going to be a learning experience for me as well. But there's a whole lot of other additional veggies. You know, we're going to be looking at a salsa test here. So get your tomatoes in, your hot peppers, or your regular peppers, and. Uh, onion, little garlic, and so forth. So we're going to have some fun. Get some cilantro planted. Once again, uh, don't uh, don't avoid the herbs. Now, these are all plants that will go in this quarter of an inch. So remember, as you talked earlier, get some water on them daily until they get some root system down there. And uh, But uh, certainly uh, salsas are going to be big this year, but collards as well. 
And if we get everybody eating those or putting them in their smoothies, uh, I know that uh, we're going to have a very uh, a very healthy population in the greater Duluth-Superior area, Dave. Bob, as always, thank you, and we'll catch you again next Tuesday. It's my pleasure always. Have a good week, Dave. <laughs>